This is Coda Radio, episode 255 for May 1st, 2017. Welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Scale Your Code. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us, Zend Out, ready to go on top of a mountain, it's our host, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike! Miss is so happy to be here. Oh, good, good. I'm, I'm really glad. I have uh, so many things to talk about with you, Jar Jar. Like, I'm really glad Mike didn't show up because I don't know what I would have talked about because I just had this Jar Jar list that uh, I dictated to via Siri while driving. I don't know. I got nothing, Mike. I got nothing. Come back. Come back, Mike. Come back. All right, Jar Jar. Go back <laughs> to entertaining the children who you orphaned. Now, now, now. Oh, it's, it, it's still too soon. It's still too soon. Yeah, no, it is your fault, Jar Jar. It's, yeah, it's, no, and they are mad at you. It's yeah. too soon, and I'm too upset about it still. It's it's ridiculous. Mr. Dominic, uh, it's good to be with you on this Monday. If there's any hiccups along the way, a pardon. We, we literally, since the last time you and I talked, ripped out the entire studio, every piece of equipment in here, and have been putting each thing back in bit by bit as we need it to sort of rebuild the studio anew and clean and and reduce clutter and make make room for new shows so it's crazy here so it's good that we're like we're just connected and talking it's a major accomplishment for us and they all run linux now right chris they do they do actually everything everything does there's no more macintoshes involved um we'll get to that later we will uh i think maybe if you would like i mean i got there's so many things i want to give you the stage for this week that i don't want to i don't want to hog the limelight but if we get there later on yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I'm really glad you tagged our first story this week in the Hoopla because this was one that it's been a little while since the story came out, and I immediately was like, you know what? I might give that a go. I might download that, put it on a Raspberry Pi, and give it a go. And the Google Assistant SDK might be it. Like it's, it's, it's pretty straightforward. They use noobs, and it makes it really simple to load an actual Google Assistant SDK, which, by the way, was released since our last episode. What do you think? I think this is pretty cool, um, and I can't wait to see the uh, 3D print STLs on Thingverse for this. Oh, yeah? You know, print yourself like a crazy case, right? I suppose that will happen, won't it? Oh, definitely. <laughs> I didn't even... <laughs> Mike, you should get in on that, man. That's a business opportunity. I know, print it like a uh, Cortana case. So uh, does this change this at all for you? Because I know you've been kind of watching like the bot assistant market. Is this something that you've decided to pass on now that you're focusing more on like Docker stuff and... Or is this still a spike in, spike, or peak in your interest like it was for me? You know, Chris, uh, my interest has always peaked. I wake up every morning. <laughs> hey, oh. Hey. There it is. It's an NSFW. So, did you see the most recent Silicon Valley? No, I didn't know it was back on. I would have to check that out. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't want to spoil anything for you, but uh, Richard Hendricks, the protagonist of Silicon Valley, has a similar problem to me trying to find. The man of his dreams. Man being, you know, project, right? Mm. Or in Chris's case, man. <laughs> and no judgments. I mean, really, you are my favorite Donald Duck. <laughs> there you, you go. Thank you. So, so happy you got that. Thank you. Um, 
seriously, don't let your kids listen to this episode. It's tough, right? I mean, the, there, there's too many cool things to do here. What are you going to pick? Are you going to be a remote shop and people do development and you build clients for it? Are you going to do DevOps and Docker, which is what hint I'm going to actually do? <laughs> are you going to do mobile and like have idiots call you and want to crack open their 401k and try to explain to them why they shouldn't do that? Mm. Um, or are you going to be a freedom beard and go work for System76? That was never allowed to me because I went in there and I kind of peed on the floor. Oh yeah, you can do and, a and lot of things the, there. A lot, of the, but the pee, you know, the that, pee. They something about the guy who dressed up in the penguin. If you pee on him, he gets really upset. Well, you know what? I think what the core problem is is that uh, the carpet cleaners don't like to work at that altitude, so it's really hard to get people to come up there and clean the carpets after you piss on well, them. Well, and the carpet cleaners run windows, so yeah. right there, there's like a yeah. whole issue. Yeah, that, don't don't even don't even get me started. Issue of our time, you might say. You might even say the issue of our time. I don't know. I still find it. You know, I agree with everything you say. Focus is a really good thing. Uh, I this is one of these things where I feel like it's uh, don't do as Chris does, but do as Chris says. Like I say, I agree with everything you say. Yet at the same time, when you have a large company like Google who has a real, real chance of breaking into this market, and they're making something like this available that you can start playing with on a Raspberry Pi, so you can build one of these things. All you all you need is a USB uh, microphone and sound out. And you, and then you load this image with noobs, then you choose the Google Assistant SDK, and you've pretty much got your own Google Assistant SDK. That is that is such low-hanging fruit with such high potential return in, if this thing were to take off that focus is great and all, but, Dan, that's a hard thing to pass up. Well, how do you mean return? Do you think people are going to, like, print out their own Google Assistants and sell them? No, I mean for getting started on development without having to uh, buy one of these things. Or you, but more importantly, you could have many of them for testing. You could have them all over the house for learning how to use them, for testing your own, you know, your – if they're making an SDK, there's going to be something to deliver for this thing. There's going to be a, there's going to be a way to sell some apps or sell some services or something. Well, what's wrong with that? If you want to focus on that, why not do it? Well, I, I'm just saying. When I, when I no, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just the temptation would be very high for me, even if I even if I was you and I had just decided, well, I'm going to focus on X, Y, Z. Then this comes along, and it's such low hanging fruit. It's really hard. I mean, I'm impressed because it's tempting me to just play around with it. So I'm I'm impressed that you're just going to let it pass by. I think I'm going to have to let it pass. I mean, it doesn't mean that in a week and a half I won't be like, so Chris, I printed out this thing that looks like your face and is a Google Assistant. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's just for me. It's more than just being able to print it out. It's about it's about it's a, it's about now that you can get an Alexa or a Google Assistant on a Raspberry Pi in in mere minutes and essentially have almost full functionality, which means you could start building this thing into all kinds of stuff potentially. But, well, would it be more interesting if you had like a TV that ran Google Assistant, right? Yeah. Well, the Nvidia Shield TV is offering that in the in the blog post announcing the SDK. Google is said, imagine things like a smart mirror with a system built in. Mm. And it's like, oh, okay. As long as it's on a smart scale. Yeah, would... or a smart mirror with a camera built in. <laughs> yeah, which as you see, there is a new Echo device with a camera built in now. Did you see that? I did see that. Yeah. That seemed very, very Weird. awkward. Can you imagine how that product was developed? I bet, I bet they're like, well, let's see what we can do if we stick a camera in an Echo. And they build a lady in a tube with a camera, and then they're like, "Well, these are about the five or six things our our AI and our pattern recognition can get right. These are the five six things." And then somebody, some like product manager, looked back and then said, "Well, this is the one we think fashion will make the most money, so that's what we'll focus on." And that's what they decided to make. It's weird, uh, but yeah. Anyways, why don't we talk about? Is this? How do I say this? Is it? Uh, is it 
Kotlin? I don't think I've ever had to say it out loud before. Kotlin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We talked about it a few times. So, uh, oh, maybe I have then. <laughs> yep. That's, that's okay. So this is a, uh, interesting post that was actually, uh, I think in the subreddit and on Hacker News from Mike Hearn. It's, so a lot of people criticize Kotlin, which is, uh, if you don't remember, Chris, JetBrains' language, right? It runs on the JVM, but it's actually produced by the oh, folks. Okay, who, thank you. Yeah, now, now we're on track here. Okay. Um, and a lot of people said, gee, I would really like to use Kotlin, but I wish it ran natively. You know, meaning with an LLVM backing or, you know, straight up compiled natively, not in the JVM. Yeah, okay. Uh, and I think Mike does a pretty good job here. Uh, Mike Hearn, I hope I'm not butchering yeah, his looks name. looks like it, yeah. Of going through and explaining, you know, he makes a good argument as to why people might want this. And then he line by line destroys that argument. And let's just go through it really quick, right? Okay. There is a stigma around the JVM even today in 2017 where people are like, oh, JVM means slow. Yep. Actually, the JVM is so freaking optimized, it's usually not that slow. Right. That's what people – we hear that too. And when – because we've – you know, it's almost easy to fall into that criticism and we've made it here on the show. And then we get emails where people say, actually, not that slow, guys. So I I agree. I agree. I mean there are some arenas where it's still tough to pick the JVM platforms, uh, particularly IoT. But if you're doing like – you know, regular application development that's running on a server somewhere, the JVM is actually one of the more optimized technologies you could be using. So he goes into that, right? Reasons people say they want a native Kotlin. The code would run faster and use less memory. Not necessarily true. Better startup time. Possibly. I actually, uh, I think he's a little hard on this. I think actually it depends because sometimes bootstrapping a JVM can be pretty pretty substantial um i'm just going to skip over some of them that seem silly right avoiding garbage collection today's garbage collectors are better than even the above average developers in the world so actually (laughs) no (laughs) Hmm. they want to run kotlin as an ios development language now that's interesting right because apple does not allow uh any kind of jits right just in time compilers right so that would be a case where you know you you would be served by having a compile to LLVM or a compile to native, and that's really the same thing, right? Uh, version of Kotlin. They uh, and the last reason he gives is they want better native code interop. Native code being defined as C plus plus in this case. The problems are, and, and he does a really good job of kind of dissecting them. Is actually your average JVM code will run faster because the JVM is pretty optimized than any of the current hacks, hacks that exist for Kotlin. Uh, okay, term, okay, okay. Rather than the JVM. In terms of the memory leaks, he does not make this argument, but I'm going to make this argument. I'm willing to bet you take the average developer, his Java is more memory performant than a C++ because most developers don't deal with that kind of memory management system mm. anymore, right? Mm. There's a garbage collector or there's reference counting, but never like straight up, you know, malloc dialic kind of crap. Um, unless you were programming Max in, you know, 2008 or iOS. There's also some, and th- this I don't want to get too much into, but the JVM has been so optimized for most CPUs that it's actually likely that the JVM bytecode generated by the current version of Kotlin on the JVM, it will be more performant than your native code. Mm-hmm. That could depend if you're doing something weird. The one where I actually don't agree with him, where I think um, folks have a point, is the iOS development side. 
there are weird projects that would like let you like, recompile Java into something else and do like JVM languages and then compile them into iOS. It's all this crazy crap. But the layers of dependency there, it's like a parfait of garbage. I think you'd be much better off doing it natively in Kotlin if you wanted to. But the sad truth is if you want to write a native iOS app, you should just go write it in Swift. Mm-hmm. Right? If you're going to write a native Apple app, you may as well use their language. Yeah, absolutely. So any questions there, Chris, before I kind of No, this is – I'm on board 100%. Yeah. I like this post a lot, Mike. Yeah, I think it's a good one. I think it's interesting that for some reason the Java community's had a tough time uh, kind of getting rid of that perception that the JVM is inherently mm-hmm. slow. Because hmm. actually in a lot of ways having a JVM-based language, the JVM stops you from doing a lot of things that are like stupid and bad, um, particularly around performance where – you know, for for your average developer, I'd be willing to just, you know, throw a stake in the ground here and say that your Java code or your Kotlin code that's compiled into the JVM is going to be more performant than the equivalent C or OBC code you could have written. Mm-hmm. To me, the other thing that feels it, it, there's something this is there's something in the technology industry where we abandon something before it even manages to reach its full potential to rebuild and start anew. And we kind of often reinvent the wheel over and over and over again. So in some cases, it feels like we're ending up with another another JVM in some sense. Or it, we keep rebuilding these different things where you have these huge runtime dependencies, these entire environments that the application needs as a dependency to run. And <laughs> all in an effort to replace something or or create something that is better or different or whatever than Java um, and the JVM. And so w- when you talk about this, it, it makes so much sense to me because it would be it would be historically in line with how technology trends tend to go. As something's been around for a while, it, certain things can get better and better and more refined over time. And we generally, as a community, make a move or a decision to something else and there is – it's not like the other thing goes away and it continues to improve and get better, but public opinion or um, common wisdom about the about that technology doesn't necessarily shift over time. It sort of stays stagnant. Yeah, I mean, we we, we had a lot of this too, right? Um, a couple of years ago, when we were doing the show, and Node kind of became a big deal. Yep. Uh, and you know, people were making like unfavorable comparisons to Rails and saying, mm-hmm. "Oh, well, Node.js is better than Rails," but you know, I wish it had like an ORM. But Rails is so slow. Active Record's huge. Guess what, guys? Active records and ORM. <laughs> like all you've now done is recreated, and I and, and granted, like Express is smaller than Rails, and people write it and always say it's not as big, it's not as bloated. It's because it's younger, right? The the reason Rails is the way it is is because it's now an industry standard. So you know, big pharma sites are using Rails. Um, this is sort of an area where as technology matures, and and very much so for Java. I mean, I mean Chris was there when the. When they invented Java, he Back was in the room. In day. Back in his day. Yeah, that's well, I wasn't necessarily know, in the room, but I was in the uh, vicinity. You were in the vicinity. <laughs> I was on the coast. <laughs> you, you were yelling at them about Pearl, I don't know. I was up in Washington Washington trying to figure out I the my my bad days at Java go back from when there was uh, two major competing Java runtimes. There was the Sun one, and then there was yes. the Microsoft one, and my world oh, was J sharp to the to the max. Yes. Oh man, that was the that was the bane of my world because, of course, different applications required different runtimes. Different features of different, different runtimes. Well, now now you have Open JDK and Oracle JDK. So 
Yeah, it's, it's it's still though. It's it's nothing like the good old days. That was, no, no. and that's where some of the stigma comes from. I think a lot of people had to deal with that. Interesting post, and uh, as we do, we will have it linked up in the show notes. We'll have it there. I uh, I will. Uh, I'm going to finish reading it. I I also like this line uh, about Android about their lessons from replacing Davix. So if you're interested in that, go check that out too. It'll be linked in the post. Mike, before we go any further, I want to take a mention I want to just take a moment and I want to uh, mention our friends over at Scale Your Code. You can go to scaleyourcode.com and sign up for their low flow mailing list and that'll give you that'll get you wonderful, amazing, powerful access to their interviews, to their uh, blog posts as well and it's about 2 to 3 emails a month. Not too bad. And now what's great is what you grok from this, how these engineers and designers built their environment, the challenges they faced, the way that they've shaped the culture of their entire IT. Now, think about that if you're looking for insights, how valuable that could be because you're getting interviews with real experts. Like here's one I, I picked out from the stack. There's so many, but this is one that really stands out to me. Uh, this is, a, I think it's, I'm going to say Scholler. I'm not, I'm not obviously sure on that. But he's the director of Stuff in the Cloud at Plex.tv. This is awesome. And he talks about building an API for many types of devices and going with native apps versus web apps at Plex. So also I think they talk a little bit about the uh, pipeline for transcoding, which would be extremely interesting to me. And uh, I think there's a little AWS talk in there as well as Rails. So you get access to it by going to scaleyourcode.com. You sign up. Get access. You get access once you're on their mailing list, which is like a, like a, like a newsletter or so, two to three. Probably – I mean it's – I mean – I, I really, as somebody who gets a lot of email, I don't mind it. It's really not bad. ScaleYourCode.com, you sign up and then you get in there and uh, check it out. Thank you to Scale Your Code too for sponsoring the show. I think that's so nice. As somebody who is a podcast fan, this is a great supplement to podcasts. Um, I also have uh, folks on there from Basecamp, Stack Exchange, Discourse, Netflix, Reddit. Uh, the, the list goes on and on. Check it out at ScaleYourCode.com. Big thank you to Scale Your Code for sponsoring the Coder Radio Program. The Coder Radio Program. You know, I wanted to uh, talk a little Docker with you, and I noticed, happened to be, a, uh, a recent handy post by those really helpful folks, a.k.a. Michael Dominic, over at Buccaneer.io on how to persist Docker logs. So this is so – can you tell – can you set up the problem here with Docker logs? Yes. Yeah, so um, Docker has a problem. Yeah, and that problem. <laughs> well, yes, it does, you, Mike. Yes, it does. Every time you, oh, you haven't been talking to the BSD folks, have you? <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you about jails. They've been around a long yeah, time. Yeah, you know? Yeah, <laughs> don't give me. I'm getting excited. They I'm getting show excited. up at your door, uh, sir. It seems like you've spun up several Docker containers today. Um, we have this pamphlet. Yeah, I mean, we don't mean to like intrude, but so okay, Docker has a problem. Every time you recreate a container, you basically destroy all the local state. Mm-hmm. Because Docker, one of the advantages of Docker is that it's supposed to be um, immutable, right? A container is a container is a container. Don't save shit in your container. Right. Right. You're, that is, it's not a VM. You're not supposed to have local state. Um, it is what it is. The whole idea of having containers is you have a container, and if you need to redeploy it, modify it, whatever, you don't actually modify it where it stands. You change the Docker Composer, however you're doing it, and you just straight up rebuild the container. Right. Well, one problem, I've been doing these YouTube videos, and a problem I kept getting kind of tweeted at me was, hey, man, followed your thing, and then I, like, changed my container and redeployed it, and I lost all my debug logs. <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> hey, man. Uh, what up, man? I mean, what's up with that, bro? So, yes, you will lose all your debug logs, and here is why. It's 
there's no state inside of the container, right? There's not supposed to be. So you have some choices. Um, I, in this post, wrote up, and I do actually have a, if this post isn't enough for you, I have a full guide that you can download. It's just a quick download page. Uh, but there are two main ways that I like to do it. Oh, okay. There's also other paths you might choose, but these are, I think, the two simplest, Chris. All right. One, Docker volumes. What do you think a volume is? Uh, I'm going to say a uh, static directory of some kind that you can somehow connect to to the container. That is exactly what it is. Okay. It is a static directory on the host machine that you can connect to the container. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, some people, myself included actually, don't feel that this is the the best way to do it because, you know, it is not the most quote-unquote containerized way to have your application because now you do have a dependency on the state of the host machine. Oh, okay. Because obviously those, that directory has to yeah, exist. Yeah, and and so this would be for somebody who's maybe like myself, something I'll talk about when you're done, just wants to run something on my laptop to test for a little bit. It's not like something I want to share with folks or be able to rebuild. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is the quick and dirty way. The other thing, too, is actually the host volume could be on a different machine, or I've actually been playing around with making a DigitalOcean volume the volume, if that's something. So I don't know how familiar you are, Chris, with that. No. Uh, but Dio has their flat. Oh, I'm using them all the time for running my own S3 using Minio and Docker, uh, which I have another post for a plug plug. They're just flat uh, flat file storage volumes that you can attach to sure, your sure. Dio yep, droplet. Yep, yep, yep. So, so they're outside of the container, right? So right, another way. Floors and those are per- yes, that is. And they're persistent sm- across yeah. That's brilliant. I hadn't even thought about using it for that. Yeah, so that is one way I use volumes. But the way I write up in here, because not everybody's using DigitalOcean, because you know there are stupid people in the world. Ouch. Um, it would be a directory, and if you were to change machines, you would lose it. Again, the advantage of the Do volume plug 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 is that you could actually detach the volume from one droplet and reattach it to another. Right. Should you, for whatever reason, need to deploy your container. Or if you, for some reason, need to reload the host or something like that. Some idiot would log in as root and just run the box. (laughs) Right. The other way that I actually like a little more uh, for clients is using a third-party service such as New Relic or, or even Paper Trail. The reason for that is these services tend to be um, set up with kind of prefab reporting and prefab dashboards for things like Ruby on Rails, Java, PHP, and they check for like common errors. They check for they report back obviously 500 errors, but they also check for like memory pressure and stuff like that. Like they actually pulled those logs in too. Let's take Rails as an example. Getting set up on Paper Trail is as simple as like making one change to your Docker file and installing one gem on Rails and two changes to your application.rb. And you are up and run, running with a distributed logging mechanism. So that's obviously good, right? What is the now, what is the so distributed uh, as in as in not physically on the box that your um, application is on? And then you just get the web based interface to look at it, uh, or you can pump it into Slack, which is what we do. No, yep, we have a bot that pumps it right into Slack. That is slick, dude. So that's Paper Trail uh, or New Relic. You could do it with both. Oh, oh, okay, oh, okay. Yeah, we pr- we prefer Paper Trail. Paper Trail is a little older, I think. Um, and it has its roots kind of in the Heroku Ruby on Rails community. So obviously we are a rail shop. So we tend to, to kind of lean that way, but we've had lots of success too, with clients who wanted new relic and it's really the same process. Meg, that really sounds super slick. In fact, I think I might play around setting that up. Just, I have, I have myself something I want to start playing around with Docker. So that's, that could be really, really useful. 
So now you have a download for a free guide. You also have a link to this post, how to persist Docker logs in the show notes, or you can just go to buccaneer.io. Man, that's going to be, that's going to be really useful when we work, when working with clients and stuff, either just yeah, for it, setting it, up for them or setting up to, to help it, with monitoring them. Yeah. I mean, we found that even if the client doesn't ask for it, it's not a terrible idea to set them up some sort of logging anyway, right? Yeah. That persists yeah. it either to a DO droplet or to if they, you know, want to spend the money to paper what, trail. What I like about it is it's even if you don't have a lot of containers, it standardizes how you log from them, which is something that as people are transitioning to using more and more container technology, that's a mental shift they're going to have to make. That's that is going to be a big transition for a lot of people. I, I know one of the things that people say when they write in is that they've set up a uh, like a web app inside a Docker container, and then something happens and they and they reload the container and all the config for their application is just totally gone. And there's there's a lot of little issues with like state. There's issues with logs, and it's just going to take a shift in how we think about it. But if things like New Relic or Paper Trail come along and Really, not just sort of improve it, but damn, I like I I like I'm looking at I'm looking at pictures right now. I'm liking this. This is like this is really nice because it's just sort of a this is now how we solve this problem. Oh, and by the way, it already integrates with where you're working at. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of the problems people are running into too, like with you know application configuration and stuff in Docker, is because they're sort of not doing it in a good way. Um. Like, for instance, if you're using Docker Compose, most of your configuration should be in your Docker Compose.yaml, right? So that when the container is deployed, it just runs through that process hmm. every time, though. So do you have, are you, do you have a preference? New Relic is sort of, is that? Um, our preference right now is Paper Trail, but. Oh, really? We are, we, yeah, we're actually seeing more demand for New Relic. Um, there are reasons for that, but. In terms of the debugging functionality, they're equivalent. They're basically equivalent services. New Relic has other functionality that some of our clients are actually already using. So obviously, just adding one more service to their account. Um, I mean, you know this, Chris. Nobody wants if you can avoid having another vendor. Great. I'm really impressed, Mike. This is I. I think the other reason why I could see, yeah, exactly, it's New Relic because people are familiar with it. I also, but yeah. the other thing that New Relic seems to I mean, maybe I'm misunderstanding, but the thing that seems like maybe it's easier to get going with New Relic, just reading through it here, is maybe analytics, like better, more useful yeah. analytics on New Relic, which could be kind of useful for some folks. Yeah, New Relic has its uh, has its pedigree was actually in application usage analytics. Ah, so where Paper right. Trail, Paper Trail's core focus was always debugging logs. So what we found is we actually had a couple customers who were already running New New Relic for application analytics. And telling them, hey, we can pump your debug logs into this too. Well, that was just gravy. Hmm. I'm gonna, you know what? I'm going to be playing with that after the show. <laughs> uh, so actually, and here's another thing, because while we're on the Docker uh, thing, is I've been thinking a lot about <clears throat> my post-Linux action show life, which sounds like a dumb thing maybe, but it's actually huge. It's going to be a huge life shift for me. And how I, how I mess around with open source projects and distributions of Linux and all of this and desktop environments could be shifting to a degree. I'll still be doing some of it to like uh, discuss on uh, Linux Action News and uh, User Air, of course, but it's going to change. And one of the things I'm considering, and I wanted to talk to you about this, but before we talk about GNOME, is one of the things I'm doing is I'm making the transition back to GNOME 3. Uh, I, yeah, I just, you know, just for, for, for now, uh, but I really think Plasma Desktop's got something really great going 
for them. I, and I want to stay on top of it. And so one of the things I'm, I think I'm going to be trying, I watched a couple of videos on YouTube and it looks pretty straightforward, is KDE Neon releases like a, a Docker edition. And you can you can get Docker images with the plasma latest plasma desktop. You can either get like a smaller one for like two gigs with minimal stuff, or the whole shebang with all the applications for four gigs. And uh, then you load that up on here, and uh, it's essentially like you have it installed on your system, but it's all contained. Doesn't put stuff dependencies all over your file system uh, and things like that. And so you can just run it when you want to check it out. I'm I'm thinking like this is going to be a game changer for me right as I'm making a transition in in how I present what I do and, and what I stay on top of. And this is going to allow me, I think, to stay on top of certain open source projects without having to completely reload my machine to try it out. I'm really looking for – I'm going to try finding other things that I can, like this that I can do inside containers because for me, this is actually a great use for this. And it's not, it's not even a server thing, which I thought was really interesting about it. So I've been so focused on containers on the server that when this came along, it sort of made me realize – how useful it could be for delivering extremely complicated applications. And also, this happens to be an example of a major open source project that is that is now treating Docker as a primary delivery, as if it's an ISO image they're releasing, as if it's an repos that you could you could lay on top of an Ubuntu Linux machine. This is like mm-hmm. one of their primary targets now is releasing on Docker. And it's one of the ways now to stay up to date with Neon, which is, I, in my opinion, one of the premier Plasma desktops. Pretty cool, I thought. And so that's one of the other things I'll be using Docker for soon. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, um, a lot of things are on Docker now, right? The, uh, <clears throat> yeah. I keep going on about Minion. The, mo- the momentum is high with that one. The momentum is strong. So, yeah. Strong. Uh, so let's talk about just Gnome real quick. Just a quick GNOME update. I saw you tweet um, recently that uh, you're liking it a lot and that you're finding it pretty uh, pretty work efficient, I guess you could say. My Katy Perry videos have never looked better. Yeah, I, but in, legitimately, like there is something to like the low distraction UI. It You almost just don't even realize you're running GNOME at a certain point. It just completely gets out of your way. Don't you, don't you feel like that? Yeah, it looks like – really, that's what I like about it, right? There's not a bunch of crap on my screen. Um, you know, whatever application I'm in, I'm in. I, I like the minimalist borders, especially because I sit in the text editor all day, which, by the way, is increasingly Visual Studio code, but oh. we won't we won't oh. talk about that. Oh. Um, there's something about it. I mean, it took a little bit to figure out, oh, you have to do everything through the keyboard. But ironically, that's how I used to run my Mac in – and Unity anyway, so... Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and do you have a few extensions installed, like uh, Dash to Dock or anything like that? What do you have? Do you have anything uh, fancy? I, I, I um, Fancy? Not really. I mean, I'm using basically the default. Okay. Yeah. Dash to Dock is yeah. nice. If you go to extensions.gnome.org, it's... If you're in Chrome, you'll have to install a, a browser plugin, but... Um, or maybe in Firefox now, too. Anyways, you know, I had just one quick thought on GNOME, and then we can move on, because I know we've got a couple other things to talk about, including you getting some continuing education, which I'm fascinated in. Um, you know, we used to talk about coffee on the show. You need a cup of coffee over there. Uh, but, I'm uh, sorry. Did you hear me yawn? I thought I hit me. <laughs> I mean, the I one you. time. No, no, I heard you. Uh, so here's uh, the thing. <clears throat> I thought about I had a, I had a realization about the extensions in GNOME, and so this is why I encourage you to kind of check just a couple out. Don't go crazy, but... Um, I've been kind of an anti-extension guy, even though I have quite a bit of them. It's a bit of a duality. It's I, I found it to be sort of a hack and likely to break between upgrades. And so I was sort of – I felt like it was a bit of a, of a cheat uh, of a, as a way to get a usable desktop. But then recently, 
as especially now that I've had a, a few of my favorite extensions persist through three GNOME desktop updates, um, it, it, it's really the most practical way for a small scale group to deliver a product that works on a worldwide scale. Like they not they're not Apple. They don't have two hundred and fifty billion dollars in the bank. They don't have the resources of 45, 50, 60 people working full time on just the UI. There's no way for them to ever build in all of these things. It's just it's not practical. And I would I, I value so much more having a great, clean, open source desktop that is free and easy to use that I, I and, and refined that I'm so thankful that they choose they choose to focus on those things. And the extension developers, I really think it's the only practical way to have a long term sustainable desktop like GNOME, because if you think about it, like from a long, 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 like 15 years from now. There could still be open source developers chugging away on whatever version of GNOME or whatever it's called at that, or GNOME, whatever it's called at that time. Maybe it's GNOME 14 by then. But, you know, like there there will always be people chugging away at that. And who knows if there'll still be Macs at that point or who knows if there will be Windows as we know it anymore. And so there is real value to having something that is manageable and and and, and scalable and maintainable by a small open source team. That can be extended, and so I've I've really changed my opinion. I still think you know you have to be careful with them, because I've had also I've had like a, I've had like a system temperature with told to just check like all of the sensors on my system, and it turned out it was causing like a, a weird delay every second or so on my machine, and so I've had some I've had some performance problems even with some of these extensions, but if you're careful and you can use GNOME Tweak, you can uh, or the Tweak tool, you can turn extensions on and off. There's there's ways to restart just the gnome desktop without having to log in and out and things like that so there's ways to work with it but i i i'm now that i'm back on gnome for the last uh, about a week and change there's i'm really enjoying it and we just happened to deploy new linux machines or reinstall some linux machines in the studio and so we took that opportunity to go gnome 3 there too all in mike all in so you're gonna stick with it too unless you get another macbook oh Yeah, I'm gonna stick with it. I think it's uh you know what, it's plain, right? It's what I want. All mm-hmm. I see is my applications. A clock. A clock. Yeah. I mean the only okay, so speaking of the MacBook, I do sort of wish the clock was on the other side. Oh yeah, because you have like a habit of looking over in the right corner. To the right for my clock and calendar, and now it's like dead center. But I, you know, there might be an extension that moves it. I'm sure there is, but I'm thinking in another few weeks. I've already gotten used to like mm-hmm. not I, I like the way the notifications are tucked under the clock though. I think that's that's nice. I do like that. I think it's a lot less intrusive than the way OS X. Yeah. I'm sorry, Mac OS does it. As, and again, in other extensions, I have a DND, a Do Not Disturb extension. I click that, and the notifications they they still they still get parked in the tray, but I don't get any on screen visualization of any notifications, which is great because a lot of apps support that. So that that's actually nice. it's pretty nice. All right, that's so really cool. I, I know I know you're doing a little continuing education. So before we get there, uh, we you did hear us mention DigitalOcean earlier on the show, and DigitalOcean is a sponsor. Here of the Coda Radio program, and uh, and earlier that was not part of the sponsorship. They they didn't they they got all that for free. This is the sponsorship, but legitimately, it's a sponsor here on the show because we use it. It is perfect if you're doing software development, if you're trying out Docker containers. You saw you heard Mike's great idea for for using the volume storage, which is is so cool because you can you can attach block storage up to 16 terabytes, but you know just as much as you need, and you can attach it as a block device to your droplet it's great it's a really straightforward easy to use cloud hosting provider and you can get started in under a minute 
create an account, and then apply our promo code CODERDIGITAL. It's one word. It'll give you a $10 credit. And then you can try out like the $5 machine two months for free. Or run a $0.03 cents an hour machine, which is very powerful. And you can really try some stuff out. I have right now an own cloud 10 instance prepared to be set up. I have a machine turned on for it. I have the software download. There's a brand new version, a super secure version of OwnCloud is out. OwnCloud 10. First thing I do is I go to DigitalOcean. First thing I do. It's the, and, and I also have a NextCloud instance running up there. It's, and you know, with the value at $5 a month, there's, there's really, it's, it's so worth it for me to get my hands on with these software, to really try them. It's so worth it for me to get just my own version of education right there. But Mike can use it in production with his clients. You can use it to deliver applications. Alan Jude can use it to add capacity on demand to scale engine. And they have a fantastic API to make it all happen. Just go to DigitalOcean.com and use our promo code CODERDIGITAL. Apply that to your account. It's just one word. You get a $10 credit and a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Also, check out their new monitoring system, Very Pro, and it's all integrated right into the dashboard. So, Mr. Dominic, you are doing a little continuing education from uh, uh, a sponsor that used to be on the show, but this is not no longer on the show. The, the Scale Your Code folks took their spot. And... Uh, but it's Linux Academy, and you're doing a little Linux Academy training. Maybe going after I, some certs. What are you doing over there? I am. I am. I figure when they stop sponsoring the show, it's the right time. <laughs> we even no, use them I, when they're not our sponsor. We even love them then. So I'm actually going for the AWS uh, DevOps engineer cert because, you know, it's a buzzword, and it's new, and it's cool. Yeah, that's probably actually a very marketable one to go for. Yeah, I would imagine that's yeah. probably a good one. Yes, it is. And unfortunately, I have never gotten a certificate before in my life. So apparently I'm required to take the AWS developer certificate first and like sit for that exam. Uh, so yeah, it's oh, going to be a little bit of a really? journey. Okay. Okay. Yes. Hmm. I, yeah, that's interesting. So, I, you know, I go ahead. So this is an Amazon requirement. This is an Amazon requirement. You can't just sit for the DevOps one. You have to sit for the DevOps <laughs> one. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's a system, dude. It's always how it works. Yeah. But good for you. And how's it going? It's going good. I mean, I'm doing the Linux Academy courses. I ordered the Amazon study guide for the first one. I mean, I'm in a weird place where I found out I had to have the prerequisite from Linux Academy, believe it or not. I set up the course. It's like, actually, do you have this? I'm like, nope. It's like, okay, so you need to do this first. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that makes yeah. that they have a system, obviously, so that way you don't uh, waste your time and waste if, your time. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, you know, I, I remember that process. So I had I have gone through this a bit myself. Uh, I first was in when I was in high school, Microsoft was doing this rare thing, especially for my neck of the woods up in Arlington, Washington, where uh, you could get a free you could you didn't have to pay to get your uh, NT4 system administration certificate. So okay. I went and did that. I got that. So they did that for free. I got a little I took the whole course as part of my school. And uh, then I got a voucher to go get certified, and I got that after my second test. <laughs> I, had to, I had to take it twice because the testing software sucked so bad back then, and I just got all confused by the questions. So I, I, I suck at taking tests. And so, but, you know, I got it, and that was good. And then um, later on, I went and got um, a Citrix administration courseware. Same thing, Mike. A whole bunch of different classes I had to – or stuff I had to do ahead of time. Um, the only time – the one that I was able to walk in more recently, like a few years ago, and I got it, was my Linux Plus certification. And that was just take the course and then you know, take the test and didn't have to do a whole right. hoopla before that. 
But yeah, that's such a it's such a system, and it feels like they're doing it so that way it's like it's like for revenue generation. But I understand they're also they say it's for uh, teaching the essentials, right? Yeah, so they learn the basics. (laughs) It's interesting because I actually think the uh, solutionist architect course might be more interesting. Oh yeah, developer course, but you can't do the associate. you know, Amazon has associate professional levels. You can't use my right, understanding. Right. If anybody's from Amazon listening, tell me I'm wrong. The associate certificate as an architect towards mm. uh, being able to sit for the DevOps engineer yeah. exam. That sounds that sounds kind of legit. That's kind of sounds. Yeah, it legit. feels right, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I'm looking at I'm looking at their page right now. And that's kind of what I grok. It's, yeah. it's it's really confusing, actually. It's it's it, it, it is like super confusing. Huh. But. It's going to be fun. How are you testing? How are you at that? So it's like they say 170 minutes to complete the exam. That's a long time for me to sit in one place. (laughs) It's a long time to take one test. Like 30 Uh, minutes, I'm good. I'm good. 45 minutes, I'm out. Uh, And then 170 minutes, I'm wondering why I'm not watching a movie. (laughs) I mean, what are the 170 questions you want to ask me? (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's what it is, right? It's probably a question a minute. Question a minute, I would yeah. hope. And the questions are all multiple choice or multiple answer questions. Those are tough. That's tough for me. That's where I always get some weirded out for some reason. Well, because there's always going to be like, is the wording the so, none of the above? Yeah, that was the thing. You know, when I, when I bailed or when I failed uh, on the NT4 test, and I you know I bombed it out, and I realized I'd bombed it out was the I was getting so hung up on the wording of the questions that I was overthinking it. So the next time I went back in, I, I realized that was my error. I I remember there was a there was a a young man that uh you got you got one voucher but I I had secured two vouchers <laughs> and there was a, a class a student who was one of my student you know made, classmates and he went in there he also failed the first time and he walked back out I remember this is a high school kid and he must have been no more than a a junior at most maybe a sophomore he walked back out and said, I'd like to take the test again. And he said, I'm sorry, son. It'll be, it's, it's a $100 charge to take the test each time if you don't have a voucher. And he just whipped out 100 bucks and gave it to him. Like it was 100 bucks and change and just walked back in the room and took the test and passed it. Right there. Like we had to stick around and wait for him as he finished the test. He just walked right back in and passed it. And the kid had 100 bucks. I remember like as a, as, a, as a high school student just being blown away by this scene. Like first of all, this high school student who was younger than me had 100 bucks, right? Because that was, that was right. mind-blowing. And then he just gave it to this lady. And then he walks back in there. And I'm like, well, that jackass. Now we have to sit around for this guy. And now we can't go get chicken wings. And then he walks back out after a little bit and he passes the test. And that really right there was like, okay, I'm going to take mine again. <laughs> so I had to come yeah, back. Yeah, but right. I was like, I knew I was going to come back at that point. Yeah. So you'll nail it. Well, I, I'm hoping I could pass or else the YouTube comments are going to be great. They'll, they will be harsh. They'll be harsh. Yeah, yeah it'll be harsh. It'll be quite harsh. I, was, yeah. Yeah, I feel like the Twitter feed was rich this week. So where should we send folks if they want to follow you on the Twitter feed? Uh, at Dumanuko on Twitter. That is unbelievable. You know, I was going to guess that, but then I thought maybe there was like a business Twitter account. Oh, there's Appbook in your tech, oh, too? Oh, that's what it was. That was. Hey, you know what I should mention really quick is check out the at Jupiter Signal Twitter account because we're going to be at Linux Fest Northwest. Uh, most most of everyone in the, this neck of the woods, this region will be there. Uh, not the entire crew like Mike himself won't be there, but a lot of the crew will be at Linux Fest Northwest and we will be streaming it. And uh, it'll be our last Linux Fest Northwest, at least as the Linux Action Show. It's also on Sunday going to be the last episode of the Linux Action Show. So if you would like to tune in to watch that, uh, jblive.tv, obviously. And you know what I should probably mention, too, since I think there's only a couple of days left, teespring.com slash allgoodthings if you'd like to grab a going away last T-shirt with a bearded tux. We have a new show in the works called Linux Action News as well. 
with uh, Joe Resington and myself that uh, you can find more information out as it gets ready at linuxactionnews.com. So how about that? That's going to be fun. Maybe we'll have you on there sometime, Mike. Something comes up, bring you on. We'll just come up with some reason, some excuse. Sounds good to me. Okay, everybody. Well, so that we'll wrap it up right there. Uh, we are live on Monday, so go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. If Mike's traveling in the future, you'll see changes posted there as soon as we know them. And we are always, always, always welcome to join us live at jblive.tv because we love having you here. But you can find the RSS feeds for this show, so that way you can get it weekly, automatically. And there will be some video feed changes coming soon. We'll be bumping up the resolution a little bit. So if you're on the video feeds, prepare for that. But it's, it's all an upgrade. Pretty good actual compression, too, so not a huge file size increase, but you'll find the RSS feeds at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Find them in the show notes and subscribe. Thanks for being here, and we'll see you right back here next week. Next week.